Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have a Bible with you now, I hope you have it open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In this special excursus episode, I want to take a deeper look at what the Bible has to say about elders and deacons. And since this is the chapter where those topics are discussed in the greatest level of detail, it makes sense, obviously, to begin here. Now, this is an excursus episode, as I already mentioned. An excursus is a deeper look at a topic raised earlier. So I'm assuming that you've already listened to the episode on 1 Timothy 3. That's where we introduced this topic as we encountered it in the flow of the text. If you haven't done that yet, do it now. I'm not going to repeat all of that material. I'm just going to build on it and go a little bit beyond it by thinking more systematically about the topic. Back in 1 Timothy 3, we encountered Paul's instructions regarding two distinct leadership offices. In 1 Timothy 3, 1, he said, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The word translated by the ESV there as overseer is rendered in some Bibles as bishop. It's the Greek word episkopos. The word literally means to see over, which is why the ESV uses that translation. The word bishop in a lot of people's minds today conjures up images of a man in a pointy hat surrounded by young boys swinging pots of incense. That is what a bishop became in the Middle Ages, but that's not what the word actually means, and that isn't what Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy 3. Another possible translation would be our English word superintendent. In fact, in English, That word originally referred to somebody who oversaw a church. So you have three good choices as to how to translate the Greek word episkopos into English, though I think that two of them are much preferable and come with less historical baggage. Now, frequently in the Bible, another Greek word is used to talk about these same people, the same office. Sometimes these superintendents or overseers are referred to as elders using the Greek word presbyteros. Paul uses both words interchangeably in Titus chapter 1. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for... An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, I'm not going to go through that criteria because I dealt with a similar list of criteria in the 1 Timothy 3 episode. So if you're interested in that, again, go and see that episode. But what I want you to notice there is the overlap in those terms. Uh, Paul told Titus that his job was to appoint elders. And then when Paul described the characteristics that were going to be required of those people, he referred to them as overseers. So obviously, elders are the overseers of the church. Greek scholars and Bible commentators understand this. Donald Guthrie, for example, writes in both epistles, both epistles there refers to 1 Timothy and Titus, in both epistles, 
the terms elder and overseer appear to be used interchangeably. Closed quote. And then also in 1 Peter 5, to those two terms, those two overlapping terms, is added a third, another word that appears to refer to the same group of people or at least to what those people do. Peter uses the verb poimeno, which means to pastor, tend, or shepherd sheep. So listen to 1 Peter 5, 1 to 2. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd or pastor the flock of God, which he then describes as exercising oversight. Peter uses all three words to describe the same people, or maybe more precisely, he tells the elders to pastor or shepherd the flock, which he describes as the very essence and definition of what it means to exercise oversight. All right, so we have a a variety of words used to describe one group of people doing one thing in the local church. We have an office of oversight, which involves certain elders pastoring the flock of God. And then later in 1 Timothy 3, we meet another office, another officially recognized form of leadership in the local church. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy 3, drop your eyes down now to verses 8 to 10. Paul says there, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, again, I'm not going to go through each of the characteristics that are mentioned there. You can go back and listen to the episode on 1 Timothy 3 and find those. What I want you to notice here are the first two words that are used in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 10. Deacons likewise. So deacons are not a type of elder. They're different. Paul has talked about office A, and now he has some things to say about office B. John MacArthur, for example, says here, the word likewise indicates that deacons occupy a recognized office just as elders do. That sense of the language seems to match up with what we see in Philippians 1.1. In the introduction of that letter to the church in Philippi, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. All right, so at Philippi, we have saints that would refer to all the gathered Christians, and we have overseers. And we have deacons. We have a congregation of believers, and we have two leadership offices operating within it. Therefore, most evangelical Bible-believing churches understand there to be two leadership offices suggested by the text of Holy Scripture. For example, the Old Baptist Confession of 1689 says, A particular church, gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ, consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church so-called and gathered for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which he instructs them with or calls them to to be continued to the end of the world are 
bishops or elders and deacons. So we have two offices, bishops or elders. Most Baptist churches have stopped using the word bishops, right? So we have elders and deacons, two offices, elders and deacons, just like we see in the Bible. All right, that leaves us with a few things still to clarify. We need to try and understand what an elder is, what a deacon is, how they're different from each other, how they relate to each other. And then finally, we need to answer a bit of a hot button question. Can women be deacons or deaconesses in the church? We'll try to answer all five of those questions fairly briefly in the time that we have remaining. First of all, then, what is an elder exactly? And what does an elder do? We've touched on some of that already in identifying these these two offices. An elder or overseer pastors the flock. They provide leadership to the group as a whole. The primary job of the elder is to ensure that the flock is properly fed. Therefore, it is the job of the elders to make sure that the flock is being regularly and properly taught the Word of God. So, for example, listen to what Paul said to Titus. You remember that Titus was sent to Crete to appoint elders. Then Paul told him what an elder should be able to do. He said in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, closed quote. An elder, according to the Apostle Paul, must have a solid grasp on the trustworthy word as taught, meaning he must understand and hold to the apostolic presentation of the gospel. And then he must be able to instruct others and to rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder has to understand the gospel, he has to be able to instruct other people in the gospel, and he has to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. That's fundamentally what an elder is. They are the dads in the household of faith. Paul introduces that metaphor in 1 Timothy 3. After giving Timothy instructions similar to those he gave Titus, he says, I hope to come to see you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church is like a family, and it has some dads who understand the gospel and teach the gospel and correct people who are saying things that don't line up with the gospel. That's what elders do. Now, that is an all that there is to being an elder, but that's a big and significant part of it. When we think back to what Jesus said to Peter, who identified himself as an elder, he may have been an apostle, but he was also an elder. His job was to shepherd the people of God. And when Jesus restored him to that role, he gave him a three-part charge. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So he says, feed the little ones, feed the big ones, and look after the flock as a whole. So it kind of sounds like the job of an elder is two parts teaching and instructing and one part general oversight. And I think that's basically true. A lot of leadership in the church has to do with teaching. We lead by teaching. We lead by opening up the word so that people can hear from Christ 
who is ultimately the head of the church. So teaching is a big part of it. But we see in the book of Acts that there is a stewardship component as well. In Acts 11, when the church in Antioch wanted to send some famine relief to the church in Judea, they did it, the Bible says, by entrusting the money to the elders. The text says, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul, Acts 11, 29 to 30. The elders in the church of Judea received the money and distributed it as a function of their office of oversight. Similarly, the elders were involved in the arbitration of disputes. When there was a disagreement between Paul and some other evangelists as to what portions of the Old Testament law were to be enforced upon and required of Gentile converts, the elders were involved in arbitrating that very important matter. We read about that in Acts 15, verse 2, which says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So even in the era of the apostles, even then, matters of dispute were referred to the elders of the church. So elders steward the doctrine of the church, but that isn't to say that they're all preachers, of course. We know that from 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, where the apostle Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, we learn two things from that passage, actually. First of all, we learn that some elders were on salary. The job was big enough that it had to be undertaken professionally. As John Owen said famously, preaching is no man's hobby. It's a full-time occupation. Now, secondly, we learn that not all elders were preachers. That was the point I was going for. Paul says, let the elders be worthy of double honor, a word meaning to give or pay what is due, especially, there's the key term, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, which means, obviously, that not all elders labored in preaching and teaching. Some must have worked only in the area of oversight. And that's why the Presbyterians, for example, often distinguish between teaching and ruling elders. Regardless of how you work this out specifically in your local church context, the point is that elders steward the teaching ministry and exercise oversight with respect to dispute resolution and financial stewardship. All of that is very clearly taught within the pages of the New Testament. All right then, if that's what an elder is, what is a deacon? That's a good question. There isn't nearly as much content about deacons as there is about elders. And in fact, there is probably a little less than you think. A lot of people think that the story in Acts 6 is a story about deacons, but nowhere in that story are those seven people called deacons. They were clearly leaders of some sort, and they were clearly given a specific task, but they aren't called deacons in the story. Nevertheless, the story does establish an important precedent. It shows that the leaders who are charged with teaching and oversight can and should establish 
other leadership roles and offices to ensure that they are able to attend without distraction to the specific task that they've been given. So, for example, Alexander Strock, in his book Paul's Vision for the Deacons, says, Deacons best assist the elders by helping them to keep their focus on the supreme importance of feeding, guiding, and protecting God's flock by the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. That's his takeaway from the Acts 6 story, which he doesn't think is really about deacons per se either. But he does see that there is a major leadership lesson in the text. Elders must be prepared and empowered to institute other leadership offices in the church as the church grows in order to protect their own God-given priorities and mandate. I think he is absolutely right in making that application. All right, then, what are deacons? Based on what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, I think it would be fair to say that deacons are official leaders in the church who are not involved in preaching and teaching in any formal sense, although, like all Christians, they are teaching in their homes and sharing Christ with friends and neighbors, but they are not in charge of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church, nor are they in charge of the finances. They are assistants to the elders and appear to be involved mostly in the area of benevolence and mercy ministry. Now, the word deacon itself inclines us in that direction. The BDAG Greek Dictionary, which is the standard lexicon for New Testament and early Christian literature, has as its first listed definition of the word, one who serves as an intermediary in a transaction, an agent, intermediary, or courier. For its second listing, it has one who gets something done at the behest of a superior. So a deacon is someone who is under the authority of the elders and who does something for them at their direction. That something is usually delegated to them so that the elders can focus on their mandate to preach the word and oversee the flock as a whole. Given the church's commitment to mercy ministries, those are the sorts of things that are generally delegated to this second group of official congregational leaders. All right, having answered all that, I think we can answer our last three questions very quickly. First of all, then, how are elders and deacons different from each other? That's an important question because in the 20th century, in North America in particular, we started using those terms as if they were synonyms. Many churches, refer to their oversight leaders as deacons. That is wildly confusing and has been the source of no end of confusion and conflict in Baptistic churches for about the last 80 years. So it's really important to understand how these two offices are different from each other in terms of what the Bible says. When we go to 1 Timothy 3, we spot those differences immediately. Paul says that elders need to be able to teach and exercise oversight over the flock, whereas deacons are not required to do those things because they are not commissioned to do those things. So George W. Knight III, for example, in his commentary on 1 Timothy says, these two functions of ruling and teaching distinguish the episkopos, the overseer, and the diaconoi, the deacons, in the descriptions of the functions of the two offices here in 1 Timothy 3. So that's the difference. The episkopos, the overseer, 
overseas. He rules and teaches, whereas the deacon does not do those things. That's how they're different. Okay, well, the next question, how do they relate to each other? A lot of problems have been created in churches when these two groups aren't relating to each other the way the Bible indicates that they should. So how should these two groups relate to each other? If we remember the meaning of the word deacon, that again should point us in the right direction. The BDAG Dictionary defines the word deacon as meaning one who gets something done at the behest of a superior. So clearly the deacons work for the elders. The elders are their superior authority. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, in the church, there is a plurality of godly men, the elders, who oversee the work of those who serve the Lord. They are assisted in their work by deacons. The basic offices of the church do not need to be more sophisticated than that. Closed quote. Simple. The elders oversee and the deacons assist. That's how these groups are supposed to relate to each other. Our last question then is a tricky one. Can women serve as deacons? Now, the question has to be asked that way because the Bible does seem to make it clear that women are not to serve as elders. They are not to be in charge of the preaching and teaching ministry in the church, and they are not to exercise authority over the church. So see the podcast episode on 1 Timothy 2 for more information on that. Based then on what the Apostle Paul says there, it seems clear that women should not be elders. But that doesn't answer the question as to whether or not women can be deacons. While good Christians disagree on this, and I understand why they do, they disagree because many churches use the words deacons and elders interchangeably, and that confuses things. I understand that. However, if we're using the terms in a biblical sense, I think the answer to that question, can women serve as deacons, has to be yes. For one thing, the deacons don't do any of the things Paul says that women are not to do. They don't exercise authority over the church, and they don't participate in the formal authoritative teaching time in the church. So if they aren't doing those things, then why shouldn't women be involved? And it seems that Paul assumed that they would be involved. In 1 Timothy 3, he gave instructions to the women in his section on the deacons. Now, some Bibles translate 1 Timothy 3.11 as their wives likewise, but the Greek more naturally means likewise the women, as in likewise the women deacons. So to quote John MacArthur again, he says here, the word likewise relates these women to an office in the church. It refers back to verse 1 and indicates that Paul was talking about the category of an office. We know he wasn't talking about the wives of deacons because no pronoun was used to refer to them. If that's what he meant, he would have said their wives or their women. And since there are no comments about the wives of elders, why would there be any comments about the wives of deacons? Close quote. He goes on to conclude. So there are three distinct offices advocated in 1 Timothy 3, elders, deacons, and deaconesses, closed quote. I find it hard to disagree with his analysis. I'm not sure whether I would say that there are three offices, elders, deacons, and deaconesses. I think it's more helpful to say that there are two offices, elders and deacons, and that deacons come in both the male and female variety. But I think he's right on in terms of his analysis. I think that just like there are two types of leader in the home, 
with different roles and responsibilities and with one in submission to the other. So there are two types of leader in the church with different roles and responsibilities and with one in submission to the other. I think that makes sense. And it seems to emerge very naturally out of the text. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to this excursus episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. That's also your best site in terms of finding old archive episodes and series. You can also find our podcast at ca.thegospelcoalition.org, or of course, you can find us on iTunes. Please connect with us on Facebook. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. We post daily encouragements and conversation starters. I'd love to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word.